Welcome back to our weekly podcast. As we continue our series, Christmas According to Luke, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with verses 26 through 38. Beginning in verse 26, Dr. Luke wrote these words. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Luke seems to take every opportunity to highlight the important roles played by women who were kingdom workers for God in the first century. The number of important women who are mentioned in Luke's gospel is greater than in the other gospels combined. Among these women are Elizabeth, who we learned about last week. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. And then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who we're going to learn more about this week. Then there was Anna, the widow and prophet. There were the female disciples who followed Jesus and supported his ministry. Mary and Martha, who were dear friends of Jesus. They were the sister of Lazarus. You have the poor widow who gave everything she had as an offering to God in Luke chapter 12. The persistent widow, whom Jesus talked about in a parable in Luke 18. There were the women who stayed by Jesus' side while he was being crucified. And the women Jesus appeared to just after his resurrection. This is just a small sampling of the women Luke wrote about in his gospel. As you would expect, this theme continues into the book of Acts. Remember, Luke and Acts go together, Acts being a continuation of what Luke wrote about in his gospel. In the book of Acts, Luke mentioned more women who were kingdom workers for God, women who shared the good news of Jesus with others, widows and disciples like Tabitha, Lydia, and Priscilla. Now, Luke was not a feminist, especially not in the way people tend to use the word today. But he understood the important role that both men and women play in advancing God's kingdom. Although men and women have been given different roles by God, we have different roles in the home, in the church, and even in society. When it comes to salvation, the Bible is very clear that we are all spiritual equals. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In the first century, some Jewish men would begin each new day by praying these words, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. You know, how crazy is that? 
God's word reminds us again and again that saving faith in Jesus transcends these differences and makes all believers one in Christ. No one is more privileged or superior to anyone else. Again, we've been given different roles, which are to be celebrated, but we all have equal value to God. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and like a well-seasoned artist, Luke painted a picture for us that clearly shows the remarkable faith and servanthood of several women who were used by God in a big way. In some instances, showing even greater faith than the men. For example, Zechariah was a faithful priest, but he was also a fearful and unbelieving priest at times. Mary, the mother of Jesus, showed an even greater faith that was demonstrated in her complete surrender to God. It's important to understand that even writing about women in this way was unheard of in the first century. We sadly live in a cancel culture today. People get canceled for the craziest reasons. There was a cancel culture in the first century as well. Except for first century Christians, being canceled meant persecution, imprisonment, and even death. Luke was definitely at risk of being canceled because of what he wrote about. Where Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus primarily focuses on Jesus and Joseph, Luke's account focuses more on Jesus and Mary. We're given details that can only be found in Luke's gospel. Now, these are not competing or contradicting details. They're just more parts to the miraculous story that was Jesus's birth. Last week, we read about the incredible news that the angel Gabriel shared with Zechariah the priest, the news that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. Their son would be given the name John, which means Jehovah is gracious. And John is the one who would prepare the way for Jesus's ministry. We know him as John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel brought a second birth announcement, this time to a young woman from Nazareth named Mary. Now, there was some variety in Gabriel's assignments. He shared good news with an old man and a young woman, a priest and a descendant of King David. He shared good news in the temple in Jerusalem and in a humble home in Nazareth with someone who didn't initially believe what he said and then with someone who responded in faith. And what a reminder for us today about how God can use people from all walks of life when it comes to how we think about Mary. People tend to go to one of two extremes. On one extreme, they magnify her so much that Jesus ends up taking second place. But Luke chapter 1 verse 32 reminds us that Jesus is the one who is great. He's the one whom we worship. He's the one we follow with our lives. On the other extreme, people tend to ignore her and fail to give her the honor she deserves. Luke chapter 1 verse 48 reminds us that every generation will call Mary blessed. Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, called Mary the mother of my Lord. And friends, that is reason enough for us to honor her. We hold her in high esteem. That's what honor means. So what do we know about Mary? What does the Bible actually say? Well, we know that she was from the tribe of Judah. We know that she was a descendant of King David. We know that she was a virgin. She was engaged to a carpenter named Joseph, and apparently both of them were pretty poor. It's important to know that engagement for Jews during this time was almost as binding as marriage itself, and it could only be broken by divorce. In fact, an engaged couple were called husband and wife even before the marriage ceremony took place. Jewish girls often married young, so it's likely that Mary was just a teenager when Gabriel appeared to her. Now, in this series, we're learning from the different responses that people had to the amazing news of Jesus' birth. 
Last week, we read about Zachariah's response to the news that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son, John, and how John would prepare the way for Jesus. His response was ultimately one of unbelief. Mary's response, on the other hand, was different. Her response was one of faith. There's a lot that you and I can learn from her response as we seek to live faithfully for God in this time and in this place. If you're taking notes, the first point that I want to talk about today is this. Mary's response of faith was preceded by surprise. Her response of faith was preceded by surprise. We read about this in verses 26 through 33. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, when you step back and think about the context surrounding Gabriel's announcement, it's easy to understand why Mary was confused and disturbed, why she was surprised. The first words out of Gabriel's mouth were, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Favored? The Lord is with you? Why would an angel appear to someone like Mary? How could a poor girl from Nazareth be favored by God? How was God with her? These are all important questions. Mary's initial response says a lot about her humility, her honesty, her character. She never expected to see an angel, and she certainly wouldn't have viewed herself as being favored by God. Now, that word favored is best translated as greatly graced or full of grace. Humanly speaking, there was nothing special about Mary that would have set her apart in a crowd. If she was different from everyone else, uniquely special in some way, then she would have responded by saying, well, it's about time an angel visited me or I've been expecting special treatment. What took you so long? But this isn't how she responded. Gabriel's visit and announcement was a complete surprise. This encounter reminds me a lot of Isaiah's words in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. The Old Testament prophet wrote these words. He says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's own people were often foolish to act as if they knew exactly what God was thinking and planning. But we need to be reminded today that God's knowledge and wisdom are far greater than man's. We need to avoid the temptation of trying to fit God into a box, making his plans and purposes conform to our own. Instead, we're called to conform our lives to his word and to his ways. This is something that Mary faithfully demonstrated. After his initial greeting, Gabriel then gave her the good news. She would become the mother of the promised Messiah, She was instructed to name him Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation or God saves. Jesus would be great and would be called the son of the most high. 
God would give him the throne of his ancestor David, and the Bible says that his kingdom will never end. This announcement was very important because Gabriel simultaneously affirmed the deity and humanity of Jesus. As Mary's son, as the son of man, he would be fully human. But as the son of the Most High, the son of God, he would be fully God. You know, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this exact announcement. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born. This is the humanity of Jesus. He was fully human. To us a son is given. This was the deity of Jesus. He was fully God. The main emphasis in Gabriel's announcement, and I don't want you to miss this, the main emphasis was on the greatness of the son, not the greatness of the mother. Jesus is the one who is great. He's the one who was born. He's the one who was given. He's the one who is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. Jesus was born to fulfill the promises God had made to his people and to be the savior of the world. Now, given Mary's upbringing, her age, her social status, it's no wonder she was surprised by this announcement. It's an announcement that no one could have predicted. It reminds me that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Number two, if you're taking notes, Mary's response of faith was demonstrated in surrender. Her faith was demonstrated in surrender. Luke chapter one, verses 34 through 38 says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary knew what would happen. You know, the angel explained that to her, but she didn't know how it would happen. Her question in verse 34, but how can this happen? This was not a question of unbelief. Instead, it was an expression of faith. Mary believed the promise, but she didn't understand the performance. How could a virgin give birth to the son of God? First, Gabriel explained that this would be a miracle. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. Even though Jesus would legally identify as Joseph's son, Joseph would not be the biological father. And once the word got out that Mary was pregnant, it's likely people thought that she'd been unfaithful to Joseph. I'm sure this was part of the pain that she had to experience throughout the rest of her life. You know, following God, being obedient to what God tells us to do, it's not always easy. After explaining that Jesus's birth would be a miracle, Gabriel was careful to point out that he would also be holy. That word holy means set apart, that Jesus would be the son of God. Because he was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not share the sinful human nature that we're born with. We're sinners by nature and by choice. But the Bible tells us that Jesus knew no sin, that he committed no sin, and that he had no sin. These truths about Jesus' deity, about his humanity, 
and his virgin birth are crucial to our faith. They're crucial to the Christmas story. Jesus was born without the sin that entered the world through Adam. He was born holy, just as Adam was created sinless. But in contrast to Adam, who disobeyed God, who chose to sin, Jesus obeyed God fully and lived a sinless life, making him the only perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the one who was promised by God for generations. Gabriel ended his message by giving Mary a word of encouragement. He told her that even in her old age, her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. And once again, we're reminded that nothing is impossible with God, for the word of God will never fail. The truth about how our God can do anything is the testimony of many believers who have gone before us. And this was the testimony of men like Abraham, Moses, and Job in the Old Testament. And it was the testimony of Christians like Luke, the Apostle Paul, and Mary in the New Testament. This season, as we reread the events surrounding Jesus' miraculous birth, we can be reminded that nothing is impossible with God, that the word of God will never fail. Mary's believing response, her response of faith, was demonstrated in surrender. She surrendered her life entirely to God and to his will. She experienced the grace of God in her life. She believed the word of God that was given through the angel Gabriel, and she responded in faith, trusting that she could be used by God to accomplish his will. Luke chapter 1, verse 38 is her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. God's announcement of a child to be born was met with various responses throughout the Bible. I'm reminded of Sarah, Abraham's wife. She laughed silently to herself when she heard that she'd be having a son. She actually said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy the pleasure of having a child, especially when my husband is so old? (laughs) Zachariah responded in unbelief, also thinking that he and his wife's physical limitations were just too much. They were too much of a barrier for God to get around. But Mary responded by surrendering her life. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Friends, what an example for us to follow in our own walk with Jesus. Just as God wanted full submission and surrender in Mary's life, he also wants the same thing in your life as well. In fact, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're to be completely sold out to God, to be used by him for his plans and his purposes. As I wrap up today's message, I want to leave you with a passage from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And as you examine your own faith, as you prepare your heart for Christmas, this is a great passage to think about, to meditate on, and to pray. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect.